Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Psalm 72. We found on page 907 in your pew Bibles. Psalm 72, um, a psalm, it's kind of a prayer for the king, and yet as you read it, it doesn't sound like any of the king's um, throughout world history, or even the present. But there's something different about this one. So listen for that, and imagine what it would be like to live in a world where this king ruled like this uh, in the ways that it talks about. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made and for your word that you have given to us. We ask this morning that you would help us to receive your word as the gift that it is. Lord, that we would um, not only receive it, but God, that you would help us to, to understand it. God, that it would be a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. God, that as we uh, hear your word read and proclaimed today, that your word would do the work for which you have sent it. God, that by your word and by your spirit, we'd be made ever more into the people that you've created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Psalm 72 of Solomon. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May grain abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. Turning then to Matthew chapter 2. 
verses 1 through 12. found on page 1501 in your pew Bibles. Matthew writes, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So during the season of Advent, we were looking at um, responding to the promises of God. And then we have been from Advent to Christmas and then New Year's, and now uh, here we are looking at a new year and how we respond again here and now. And today, I don't know if you came ready to celebrate, but today is a holiday. Are you aware of this? This is another of the holidays on the church calendar, um, which explains several of uh, the things you've already heard today. Today is the day uh, known as Epiphany, also known as Three Kings Day. And this is where the 12 days of Christmas, you're familiar with the song? It comes from there being 12 days of Christmas. And a lot of times uh, what happens with the 12 days of Christmas is uh, people hear the song or they hear the idea of 12 days of Christmas. And so like stores will start their Christmas sales 12 days before Christmas. So then it ends on Christmas day. That's not actually how the church did that. The 12 days starts on Christmas day and then it ends today. And so uh, this is uh, the conclusion of the 12 days of Christmas. Today's epiphany or three Kings day. And so we're going to do something with that today. Um, However, we got to talk a little bit about what it what it means, what it's about, because it's a little confusion. Um, first of all, the word epiphany. Does anybody know what epiphany means? Okay, I'm glad you came today. <laughs> epiphany, is, it comes from a Greek word that just means an appearing. And so, uh, like if you ever had a sudden... Like somebody says, oh my goodness, I just had an epiphany. It's like you've had this idea that just appears in your mind. Ah, oh, now I've got it. It's this appearing idea. And so uh, today is the day that we celebrate Jesus appearing, but to Gentiles. 
And so if you think about the wise men coming from the east, that this is the first time non-Jewish people have had any encounters with the Messiah. Because up until now, Joseph was Jewish. Mary was Jewish. Anybody else who happened to be in Bethlehem was there because of the census, and so they were descended from David and therefore Jewish. The shepherds who were out watching their flocks by night in the fields, they were Jewish. But when the wise men show up, they're not Jewish. And so this is part of that fulfillment of the prophecies going all the way back to um, Abraham when God says in Genesis 12 that it's through you that all nations of the earth will be blessed. And so one one of the things we're celebrating today is that, that Jesus did not just come to save Jewish people, but he came as the Savior for all people. And that is good news. Um, But here's another part of it. We also call this Three Kings Day. And that is kind of a strange name, given we just read in Matthew, who's the only one who tells us about uh, these guys coming. And did you notice that he doesn't tell us how many there were? And he doesn't call them kings? So how we get the three kings from Matthew, who tells us about it and doesn't say that there are three and doesn't call it kings, is kind of weird. <laughs> um, and so instead we have the three types of gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. And we have uh, people that he calls magi. So you can uh, wise men, astronomers, astrologers, magicians. You can kind of pick one of those. But he does not call them kings. So we have this three gifts given by wise men, and somehow we call it Three Kings Day. So here's what we're going to do instead. We're going to talk about that story. We're going to talk about a different story that does involve three kings (laughs) to celebrate three kings day. And this is actually another part of the fulfillment of the prophecies of Jesus being the Messiah for all people and that message going out to all the world. This takes us back into the book of Acts. This is where we have been for two years now. We're nearing the end, but we're not there yet. And uh, where we left off before Advent, Paul had been arrested again. He is in uh, being held in a Roman prison in Caesarea. And uh, this is on the Mediterranean coast of Israel. And he's being held there. And there has been been some issues with his case. Uh, There have been murder plots. There have been a... Uh, change in leadership, local governor who, his name was Felix, and he was supposed to have already tried this case, and he kind of did, but then he chickened out and didn't ever have a verdict. He just sort of said, well, we'll just let this go for now, and Paul just stays in prison. That's where it stood. And then when he leaves office, this guy named Festus comes in. He's now the one who's the governor of the area. He's the one who's in charge of Paul's case. So he goes Uh, down to Jerusalem and is sort of seeing what things are going on there as he's now over this area. And the people in Jerusalem say, hey, there's Paul who's in Caesarea and you should bring him down here so, you know, you could have his case here. Whereas really they have the motivation, secret motives to kill him when he gets there. Festus does not bring him to Jerusalem but says, no, I'm going to hear the case in Caesarea. He does. He hears the case in Caesarea 
and doesn't get to decide the case. Because in the middle of the, uh, the proceedings, Paul, as a Roman citizen, says, I shouldn't be tried by you. I'm a Roman citizen. I should be tried by Caesar. Caesar himself in Rome. And Festus says, well, okay then. There's, now there's nothing I can do. That's what's going to happen. And so that's the case where we are right now, is Paul is still in Caesarea. He's awaiting to go to Rome. Festus, I'm going to get all my names confused today. Bear with me. Festus is uh, still the one overseeing this and is now going to have to send letters with Paul explaining why he's sending him to uh, Rome and to Caesar. But Festus himself is still kind of confused about the whole situation. It's a confusing trial. And so today what we're going to hear about, and so there are three kings, right? Caesar is one of them. Another one is King Agrippa II. And he is, he's going to come and visit uh, Festus. Hey, kind of welcome to your new job. Welcome to the neighborhood. How are things going here? And while he's there, Festus is going to say, hey, you know, as long as you're here, I've got this really weird case. Can you just kind of hear what's going on and maybe give me some advice? So that's where we are today. We'll hear of um, Caesar here of King Agrippa II, a third king. Here we go. This is Acts chapter 25, starting in verse 13. I'll read the story, talk about what it means, and then talk about what it means for us. It a few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there's a man here whom Felix left as prisoner. And when I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over anyone before they have faced their accusers and have had an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the, convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. So I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. But when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. He replied, Tomorrow you will hear him. And we're going to start there with that last verse. If you were in Paul's situation, Paul doesn't know that Agrippa has come to town. Paul doesn't know that Festus is talking to Agrippa about his case. But Festus has just said to Agrippa, tomorrow you will hear him. So Paul doesn't know what's coming next. But the next day, he is going to have an opportunity to tell about Jesus to a king. If tomorrow you are going to have an opportunity to tell about Jesus Would you be ready? And what are you doing now to be ready for tomorrow? This is um, 
that right there. That's it for the, the New Year's message. It's how are we spending our days uh, now to be ready for the things that are coming, particularly in light of um, opportunities we will have to share about Jesus that we don't even know are coming yet. But they are coming. How are we getting ready? Um, okay, one of the ways that we're getting ready is being here, reading this, listening now. But we're going to back up. Because we need to talk about who Nero is, or who Nero is, who Caesar is. It's Nero, who is not known for being kind really to anybody, but especially to Christians. This is where Paul is headed. Also, who King Agrippa is, King Agrippa II. Um, you may not be familiar with him, but we already read about his great-grandpa a little earlier today. His great-grandpa was actually the Herod who, was, who the Magi came to and said, where is the one who's born king of the Jews? This is that Herod, Herod the Great, his great-grandson is Agrippa II, who now comes in on the scene. That is quite a family line to come from. It is actually a pretty brutal family line. And here he is uh, to hear the case. So we have Nero, who's kind of a king like a lot of other kings in the world. We have Agrippa, who kind of comes from that family line, is also king like a lot of other kings in the world. Then we have the third king, who, of course, is Jesus. See, Festus doesn't understand a lot about this case. There's a lot that's confused him about it from the very beginning. But Paul has been clear enough that when he explains the case to Agrippa, Festus even says, yeah, I don't really know what's going on. All I can get is it's got something to do with their, you know, some points of dispute about their religion. And it's got something to do with a dead man named Jesus that Paul claims is alive. I'd say that's pretty accurate, right? If you've been reading in our Read Scripture plan this week on the book of Galatians uh, that Paul has written, you know that Paul, having been raised a Pharisee but now being a Christian, he probably has some disputes over how the, uh, some points of dispute about the Jewish religion and how, from his perspective, it was always pointing to Jesus, every bit of it pointing to Jesus, and how, yes, there's still uh, the law, but that is not... Uh, something that we are saved by. But it's all pointing to Jesus. And so we don't trust in the law, we don't depend on the law, depend on the law and definitely not on our ability to keep it. But it's all about Jesus. So yeah, he's going to dispute with them over that. And then secondly, it's over this dead man named Jesus that Paul claims is alive. This is where the whole thing hangs. This is what uh, all of Christianity hangs on, is Jesus. Is he dead? Or is he alive? And Festus says, I don't even know how to investigate that. I think we have ways of investigating that. And there's plenty of evidence that we can look to. But here's the point. It all hinges on Jesus and Jesus being this other king, not Caesar, not Agrippa, 
not any of the Herods. The Herod, like Herod the Great, who when he hears from the Magi that there's going to be this baby born in Bethlehem, he becomes like the second coming of Pharaoh who says, well, then we've got to kill all the baby boys, right? You remember that from Exodus? And kill all the baby boys so that nobody can come and take power away from me. I will kill other people. I will put other people down so I can maintain power. That is the way of the kingdoms and the kings of this world. And yet, miraculously, in Exodus, Moses is spared to lead the people out, to save them, to redeem them, to free them. And for Jesus, miraculously, he is spared for a similar purpose, that he'd be able to save the people. And there are a lot of different ways you can talk about Jesus. But the, um, the, one of the ways that the gospel writers consistently talk about Jesus is the one who's bringing the kingdom as this new king with a new way of being the king. And one of the things about the way Jesus does this, or the way that writers talk about this, is how they use this language of his uh, being raised up. And so he's going to be exalted on a throne, and yet it seems his throne is a cross. And so we have all this language. Matthew talks about him getting this, uh, a robe put on him and a crown on his head. But it's when he's being mocked and spit on and beaten, and it's a crown of thorns. And so it's all humiliation, and it is pain, and it is suffering. And then he's exalted and raised up on the cross. This is a very different way of being a king. When Jesus talked about his kingdom, he, told, he preached a lot about the kingdom of God. He told a lot of parables about the kingdom of God. But when he talked about the kind of king he was, rather than preaching, he inserted himself into a meal, into a Passover meal that they had celebrated for generations, where every element was richly symbolic. And he puts himself right at the center of that meal, and he says, this is the kind of king I am the one who will give up my rights, the one who will give up my life to set other people free. What other king does that? Think about this. The only one I can think of is Martin Luther King Jr., and that's just the name. And even that was because he was a preacher who was trying to follow Jesus as best he could. <laughs> Kings don't do this. Kings are the kinds of people who do like Pharaoh, who do like Herod, who try to put other people down so they can raise themselves up. And you can think of the leaders that we have politically today, even in our own country, it doesn't matter which party. We have a system set up. I still think it's the best system we've got in the world, but we have a system set up that encourages and rewards people for putting their careers ahead of their constituents. That's what we have. And so we have people who are rewarded for that kind of behavior, and therefore, we don't get kings. 
like Jesus. We don't get leaders who are willing to put others ahead of themselves. But Jesus says, this is the kind of king that I am. A king, he says, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then he also said, follow me. He said, this is the way that we are to be as well, to give up our lives, not to be served, but to serve, to give up our lives for others as well. When I was um, like 18 years old, I was um, a waiter at Red Lobster, and I was terrible. I've told you about that before. But it was also during that time that there was some uh, language changing going on quite a bit in our country for the sake of political correctness. And so I started there, I think, as a waiter and quickly became a server because you had waiters and waitresses. That's sexist. You can't do that. So you have to have uh, servers, and that applies to men and women equally. There you go. Um, I've not generally been a fan of politically correct language, but I really did like that change. And I will tell you why. Because I was really bad at my job. (laughs) But as a waiter, in the name, it implies that what you are there to do is to wait. And I was good at that. (laughs) I could wait all day long. That was not helpful. It was the serving. That's what needed to be in the name. (laughs) That's what it was that we were there to do. And that's what I was terrible at. And I think that's the part that needs to get back in our name as what it means to be a Christian, to be someone who follows Jesus. And sometimes we use the word servant, and I think sometimes that we've lost even the meaning there. Just as those who serve, who serve a king who leads in a very different way than the rest of the kings of the world, who serve a king who is the true king over all kings, who serve a king who came to be the king over our own lives as well, that we would give up any claim uh, to kingship we might have on our own terms. We sing the song, uh, he has the whole world in his hands. But then sometimes we have the whole world in our pocket on our phones. And it can make it feel like we are the, the kings who can call up whatever, whenever, and however. But the kings of old never had any kind of power like that. And so we can start to feel like we are the kings of our own, in our own right. But Jesus came as the king who is our king over our hearts, over our lives, over our phones, over our pockets. This is Three Kings Day. And we have an option. We have an option if we want to serve the kings of the world, take your pick. If we want to try to be kings ourselves, 
or if we will, humble ourselves, bend the knees, and worship King Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.